Hello and welcome to African Jopadi. My name is Ife and I'm recording from Lagos, Nigeria. Hello everyone, uh, I'm the co-host of African Jopadi. My name is Dihia and I'm recording from North Vancouver in Canada. Today we will be talking about the artisanal fisher in Ghana, an underrated component in a nation's socioeconomic development. And we have an amazing guest to speak with us today on this topic. Indeed, I am very excited. Usually we have scholars. Today we have an avid advocate who is very much engaged with the community, with the policymakers, and with enforcement agencies. We have today Kwesi Johnson. He's a 52-year-old ardent advocate for sustainable fisheries management in Ghana, where he lives. And interestingly, he's a friend of both resource users, even those that are lawbreakers and of the law enforcement agencies when it comes to enforcement issues and activities. He has worked in partnership and initiatives that involve local and international development organizations, academia, media, grassroots trades, farmers for fair trade activities, village banking savings and loans activities, and fishers groups in combating illegal and regulated and unreported fishing and promoting self-help through savings and voluntary compliance activities. His passion for sustainable fisheries and ecosystem sustainability and grassroots community development has made him a favorite with grassroots fishers, friends of law enforcement agencies, community leaders, leaders, fisheries sector um, technocrats, the community of uh, practice in sustainable fisheries development partners. Currently, uh, attached to Friends of the Nation, FON, a local social environmental sustainability advocacy organization in Ghana, he volunteers his free time assisting community initiatives in savings, waste management, and COVID-19 education, which is very timely, and proposal development, media engagement, consultancy work, amongst many other things. We are very excited to have Kwesi with us today because it is the very first time that we're actually addressing this particular topic for Ghana and having that from an advocate who is linked to all these organizations is very exciting. Welcome, Kwesi Johnson. Thank you, Dia, and also my old friend, Dr. Yaud. Thank you, and, and thank you so much for being here. And I, I can say that as someone that recently experienced some of this beautiful relationship and interaction you have with Fisher Folk, it's really an honor to have you. The pleasure is mine. Okay. I feel privileged too, yeah. Thank you. So to start, I mean, we, we, we just wanna go straight to the point. Um, as, as the expert, what exactly, what exactly, or how does the artisanal fishers in Ghana contribute to the socioeconomic development of Ghana and why are they underrated? Uh, zooming in straight to the point, uh, there are three main categories of fishes in Ghana. First on the list for me is the artisanal small-scale fisher, followed by the semi-industrial and then the industrial trawlers. The artisanal fisher comprises about roughly 9.5% of the estimated population of 30 million. That's 300, close to 300,000. And if these people, this large chunk of people 
Mind you, if I say about 9.5 to 10 percent, I mean the fishes, the extractors, and all those along the value chain. They form about 10 percent of the population, and they are found along anything between 355 to 370 coastal village communities in Ghana. And they are the backbone of those communities when it comes to economics and food security. And these are people who are largely unschooled and don't know how to do anything else but going fishing. These are the people we are talking about. You know, and these are people who until recently were not even empowered to dialogue with them lawmakers, policy makers, and law implementers, and law enforcement agencies. But gradually, their, their voice is coming up. Interestingly, these people are not fighting, in quotes, with just other fleets, that the industrial and the semi-industrial, but they are also fighting amongst themselves because all the coastal fishing communities, which are, can be broken into four major tribal groups in four major regions, all of them are also involved in one type of illegal fishing or not, or another. And then there is a conflict between the finger pointing, ah, but you're also doing this, also you're also doing that. You see, these are the people we're talking about. But more importantly, they contribute about 80% of the fish that is consumed in Ghana. The rest is imported. But what is imported, the 20%, the income it brings to the country, nobody knows. But we know that what the local people contribute covers what accrues to about $1 billion per annum. So 80% of $1 billion per annum, you can calculate it for yourself. And this is no figure that any government, if some sector is contributing 80% of a revenue stream and you take them for granted, then what you are shooting yourself in the feet? Thank you. Um, I have a follow-up question uh, with regards to that. Like they are clearly very important for the local economy and for food security. Um, I have actually two questions, um, one that is actually burning. So the first one is how did that importance evolve over time? Like, is, or how the, did the contribution evolve over time? How did the, the, the income evolve over time and their conditions evolve over time? Are there, um, are they fighting for them to get better? Are they worsening because of all the issues that surround them and the environmental context that surround them? Um, how are they doing today, um, you know, compared to say 10 years ago? Um, and my other question is a bit linked to that maybe, which is something that I read um, in your bio. And I think the readers might be, uh, the readers, the audience might be really interested in, in understanding that basically in your own words. Um, and I feel that I know already the answer, but I would really like a clarification from you there with regards to, you know, people might ask, how can you be friends or advocate for people, even lawbreakers, and at the same time enforcement agency. And I think uh, agencies. And I think these two questions, like the, how the conditions evolved versus what pushes people to commit illegal fishing offenses, for example, are particularly linked. And I would like for you to just talk it to us um, about that a little bit. Thank you. I'll take the second question first. How 
am I a fan of both the lawbreakers and also the law enforcement agencies? Yeah, the law enforcement agencies, uh, especially the Marine Unit of the Ghana Police Service, is a relatively new unit uh, among the police service. Yeah, there are so many other units. But uh, it was reconstituted in 2012 under the very recent uh, Inspector General of Police, my good friend. And uh, when they were trained, uh, they were reconstituted. Uh, many of them don't know anything close to zero about fisheries. So from my small background in uh, associating with the military and also my love for the military activities, I was found as a natural person within the fisheries fraternity in my office to work in training with them. And I devised ways of you know, going to the communities without the police feeling afraid of them, without the communities feeling afraid of seeing policemen in uniform in their community. So little by little, I was able to bring the communities and the police together. And the police were amazed because when they go to the communities alone, people are scared of them. But when they mention my name, then, oh, if you're a friend of P.C. Johnson and P.C. Johnson's organization, then it's fine. So little by little, the communities were brought together. The police found that interesting in me. And also the police also worked with the Navy. So through the police, I got a bridge to walk on to the Navy. So many police officers today will say that, oh, Kwesi and his friends, his team of friends, helped us to entrench our feet in the communities. Though we go to enforce fishing stores, the people are not hostile to us. There have been very few occasions, about three or four times, that the communities were hostile to the police. But my organization or civil, any other civil society organization was not involved. So that's how come the police and the other law enforcement agencies see uh, our importance, I'll, make, I'll not take the credit alone. And the police, whenever they need some information, they, uh, they, they call us, you know, they refer to us. And this also makes us see how important a uh, component we are in the law enforcement authority uh, activities in the country. And at the same time, I'm a friend of the Azico. The lawbreakers, <laughs> let's call them that way, the artisanal fishermen, because I say they are the lawbreakers because each of them are involved in one, breaking one type of law or another. Why? Because fishes is not just a livelihood issue in Ghana. It's a cultural and a heritage issue. So different ethnic groups practice a certain type of, a, pecu a peculiar type of fishes, which is, uh, unique to them. For example, the airways in the east, in the Volta region, uh, like anchovies, which are small. So their, their nets are traditionally small size. So something that they've done over centuries, and just because of the law, they should stop eating their kind of fish. It is the same kind of fish that uh, tuna vessels come to harvest to use as bait. So if you are allowing the tuna vessels to use small size nets to harvest it, so that they go and use it as bait, even not as their main target. Why not be ourselves we want to use it as our main target fish that we are fishing? That's another thing. Okay, another group also uses um, 
others uses hook and line, which every group find uh, has acceptable, except those who are not able to use it. But those who use hook and line also go find to the sea, to the areas of the uh, areas uh, reserved for the big trellis, you know, so it endangers. So they would rather stay closer to shore and fish. So there are conflicts there. Other people also are more skillful in using beach sea net or drift gill net, etc., etc. And each of them have got a component of illegality with it. So what is government saying? So everybody put this uh, nets down. Meanwhile, government is licensing uh, the trawlers, which are funded by uh, local people, but we know belong to uh, foreigners, especially Asians, to do the same, almost the same thing that you are uh, prescribing our own people to do. So I realized that if you don't befriend the two sides, how will you be able to bring them to dialogue? So in order to bring people to dialogue, uh, you must be able to find a way of uh, navigating the, you know, the tight rope so that you be able to, so in the end, you become a friend to both sides. You become something like uh, a strict parent. A strict parent is not an enemy of the children. So they will complain, but they see the sense. And moreover, when you let the fisher especially understand the implication of these activities, then you become apprehensive about his own activities, but still he finds it difficult to stop because of water and bread issues. Thank you. So that's how come I'm a friend of both uh, fishers and also uh, the law enforcement agencies. The second one, if I understood you, is about uh, declining fish stocks. And where are we now? About 20 years ago, Ghana was harvesting close to 880 metric tons, eight, for, uh, 880,000 metric tons of fish per annum. Six years ago, uh, the scientists told us and the fishes officers, fishes commission told us it was 440. My last data that I gathered, I have some uh, has got the literature, was that in 2019, July, we were getting just 240,000 metric tons. From 880,000 metric tons 20 years ago to 440,000 metric tons around 2015, six years down, uh, has about four years to six years down the line, now it's 240. So that's the uh, uh, enormity of the situation. You know, and uh, when the fisherman who has no other source of livelihood is losing this, yet we see fishing trawlers going and encroaching upon the zones that has been earmarked for artisanal fishermen. That's a 30 meter zone or the, uh, and, and, and fishing there uh, illegally and catch, uh, making catches which in turn is selling to other types, other categories of artificial, artisanal fishermen who are more of businessmen than cultural uh, heritage fishers who just want to sell something and also put food on the table for their families. 
then you see a big conflict because especially those who are harvesting the fish, uh, let me call them the West Coast of the along the chain, when you see them as people who are fronting for politicians, who are fronting for big, big people in society, and the politicians to tell them, this artisanal fishermen, you people, you don't pay tax. Do you know where the monies we get to subsidize the uh, outboard motors, premium square and other inputs like nets, etc., for you to buy it at a relatively cheaper rate? You know where we get the money. The politician or the minister may say this in a jest, but it has underlining tools, which means there is so much money in fisheries that if you are able to make much, then you are able to pay people to just keep quiet so that illegalities will go on. These are some of the unfortunate dynamics, the uh, politics involved in fish. It shows that the politician doesn't value the artisanal fisherman. He doesn't see the, uh, how is it called, the importance and the contribution. If uh, about almost 3 million people are involved in an activity, economic activity, and they are not dependent on government for employment, unlike uh, the police, the Navy, et cetera, people like me, and they are failing for themselves from the little that they get. Is it not a blessing? Is it not an area the government must look at? Moreover, these people that government is not taking serious are contributing about 80% of the fish that we get. Meanwhile, those who are getting uh, 20%, you claim they pay tax. The fishes, uh, the artisanal fisher who you claim doesn't pay tax, that's the government claim doesn't pay tax, are in communities that are in local government areas, which we call districts. And whenever fish catches are, la are large, or there is a, as a bumper catch, you realize that economic activities and even the revenue that these local governments make, it shoots up. Whenever there aren't bumper catches, their revenue stream goes down. What does that tell you? For me, it tells me that fisheries, though uh, that is not fisherman, though the government in Accra doesn't see him as paying taxes, it is the place where the local government has said where there is fishes get the majority of the big, the lion's share of their revenue. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, hi. Um, thank you so much, really, for a very fascinating contribution. And I'm here thinking that, I mean, the way you've presented things is so fast, very coherent, and, and very logical in trying to help us understand. And so the question now that I have is, so potentially, what are the risks, you know, in terms of now we understand that fisheries play a very important role, but at the same time, there's depletion and there's a sense of, you know, them versus us, whereby the fisher folk are thinking that the government do not care about them because of the way they are maybe being alienated whilst the industrial fishers are sort of being being romanticized or welcomed by the government. So the question now is that how are they responding to this feeling, this feeling of animosity? How are they responding? How are they responding to the impact of depletion? How are they res responding to this feeling of dejection from the state or by the state? 
when you talk about uh, the when we, we talk about how you call uh, the artisanal fisher reacting or adjusting to depletion of fish stocks, the fisherman until recently used to say, sea never dry. Sea never dry in Ghanaian pidgin English means that there will always be fish. Some even tell us that, what are you people talking about that uh, the fish is going down? That uh, we what you scientists or uh, advocates call MSY, maximum sustainable yield. If you go beyond the 10% threshold, then it will be difficult for fish to rebound. You know, uh, the, the fisherman believes that despite all this, in fact, uh, just three days ago, we had a meeting and uh, on, on uh, as a fisherman and I advanced, you know, because uh, luckily, fisher, fishermen of yesterday who were smart enough to send their children to school and those children who were able to take education serious are now becoming the youth fisher leaders. And so they are also using technology and are holding government to task to do the right thing. And uh, these people will tell you that we would rather government does not give us uh, any more physical um, subsidies and also inputs, you know, uh, but rather enforce the law for everybody so that we all get money and we buy our own output, we buy our own nets at our own, uh, at, at the market price, etc. That's one thing fishers are saying. Fishers are also saying that um, the law must be reviewed. In fact, it is only less, it's less than one month that uh, when fishers woke up and spoke to the ministry that it was said that uh, uh, light fishing is not even illegal. So if the trawlers are using uh, light to fish, then it, it does not, it's, it's not tantamount to breaking of the law. Then the fishermen will throw, throw, it, throw it back at the government and say, then why is it that when we use light, you chase us, you tell us that it's illegal, but when they use light, you are not telling Where in the law is it these are empowered fishermen? Telling government that where in the law does it say that light fishing is not illegal? Is over three weeks. Government has not been able to provide that link in the law. We are all looking for it. Another thing too is that the fishermen are telling government that no, we want all fishing laws to, you know, uh, be enforced. But let's do it step by step because this is how you know. For example, they say when you go to the hospital and doctor gives you a bottle of medicine or a pack of medicine. You don't go home and take all the bottle of the medicine syrup at, at one go or go and gulp down all the husband tablets. They give you dosage, two morning, two afternoon, two evening, for three days or for whatever number of days. So fishermen are telling government that, no, let's do it incrementally. So if you look at our law or if you look at science, science prescribes that if you look at the level of the decline of our fishery stock, our marine fishery stock, an ideal coexistence should be a three-month split. But fishers were able to dialogue with government, and government say oh, one, one month. So the idea is, uh, when working with academia and also civil society and fishers, 
as, as, one, as a tripod on one side versus government. And now government is able to say that, okay, then let's do it one month this year, maybe one month next year, then two months in the next year, then eventually you do it three months straight. But civil society has also been able to help artificial fishermen who are calling on government that there should be uh, affirmative or appropriate social intervention activities for fishermen. For example, help out with some supplements, I mean, food, ration, and et cetera, to cushion the effect of uh, those kind of, uh, how's it called? Let's call the fishing management activities. Fishing management activities are the medicine that the fishing industry must take. So close season is one. Uh, close areas are another. So you can't go and fish in this area. Places that are the fishing guns for them are also uh, subject to closure for some number of periods in uh, months in the year or totally. So fishermen are asking government that, yeah, we see that all these are good for us. And in fact, one important component in what fishermen are doing is that all that civil society and science is saying, they've, put, they've implemented it themselves at places. For example, close areas, fishermen have experimented six months close season of oyster at the Densu River Delta or Densu Estuary, not uh, east of Accra. And they've done the same at the Pra Estuary. That's a one month uh, close season for themselves in the year and it's being managed by fishermen. Fishermen have realized that ah, it is yielding result. So they also agree that the government can go ahead and do this, but it mustn't do it all at a go, but segment it little by little. So these are some of the things that now the empowered and the fisherman who is becoming a, as you call, a citizen scientist is proposing to govern. So these are some of the ways. And another way is that fishermen, you know, uh, have through civil society interventions, are embarking on saving skills for themselves so that when it comes to lean seasons or close seasons, they can engage themselves in other economic ventures. So these are some of the interventions they themselves are doing to cope with the declining fisheries. Thank you. Um, I have a follow-up question with regards to that actually, like, uh, you mentioned that fishermen are turning into basically scientists, and I think that we tend to underestimate the traditional ecological knowledge that fishermen actually hold a lot. Um, to me, they are the best scientists that we can have access to um, um, in the field. So basically, my question there is, you know, it has to do with not necessarily science, but it has to do with like the tools that are out there to combat some of the issues that we see either in Ghana or elsewhere. And we all know that Ghana has been recently, um, I would uh, humoristically and ironically use the word awarded, um, just like humor me there. Um, the <laughs> terrorist of yellow card yeah. <laughs> by, oh. by the EU. And I was wondering how are fishermen reacting to that? And what is, is there anything that you see changing on the field, how are they? How are they seen? Do they welcome it? Because you know of all the issues that we see around industrial fisheries, or do they 
Um, do they condemn it? You know, what, what is really their, their reaction there? How, how do they deal with that? Knowing that they are actually stewards uh, out there. Uh, a prisoner fisherman is in the vast majority of fishes in Ghana. Uh, uh, the, the direct fishes are numbered around um, conservatively 300,000. And these and the, those who are in the, as it called, the industrial and semi industrial currents are just about 5,000 including the foreigners, you know, so you see the disparity. And artisanal fishes, their fish is consumed in Ghana. It is what the trawlers get that is sent overseas. But now uh, the world has become a global village and you see a lot of emigrants. Ghanaian population settled in UK, USA, Europe, wherever, and these people uh, like the traditional food they used to eat in Ghana. So there are markets for artisanal uh, caught fish from the inland freshwater and also from the marine sector. And if the yellow card culminates into a red card and it is punched totally, then Artisanal fishermen will lose. But honestly, in my estimation, the trawlers will lose more. And when the trawlers lose more, it is indirectly going to affect the artisanal fishermen because the government says it gets money from uh, trawlers to contribute to the subsidies that the artisanal fishermen enjoys. That's the hazard. Uh, uh, import of what the minister said. Do you know why we get the funds to procure you all those subsidies? Two, if uh, uh, the, the yellow card comes west and uh, the matures into uh, has a call red card, and uh, we are the, we as a country are not able to export fish to the European market exactly. You know that once the EU is doing it, USA will say, ah, our friends have noticed something. What is it? And they also start, you know, my, using their magnifying glass to, you know, scrutinize the situation. And then probably Ghanaian fish will not go to the US market and then globally then. But another important thing is, you know, we in civil society also use uh, that uh, milestone the announcement of yellow card, the warning to preach the say no to bad fish, issue, say no to chemical fish, because we let the people know that this is the these are the reasons why the yellow card is coming or the warning is coming. So now the fishermen have started telling themselves that hey, if we go and catch, excuse me, poison fish, that's chemical fish, and it goes to the market. Do you know who is going to buy that fish? Is it my in-law? Is it my cousin? Is it this? So it has, you know, the uh, enormity or the gravity of the potential ban of uh, fish going to European market is making we as a country, not just artisanal fishermen, all fishing stockholders have a self-introspection. 
to check ourselves. Some are saying that, huh, this is what we've been saying all the time. Others who have been saying that, well, so now what do we do next? So the potential of the yellow uh, has a ban of has helped the nation to do self introspection. That's what I'll say about it in a nutshell. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. But I ha actually have a follow-up question because, I mean, so what is different about this time? The, the first yellow card was 2013. It was rescinded in 2015. So if, if you guys, if Ghana did not have that self-retrospection in 2013 until when it was rescinded, what is going to be different this time? Why is this one now going to be the aha moment, the eureka moment you guys, you know, the government needed to have to finally solve this problem. What, what is going to be different with this one? Um, I'll tell you honestly that uh, after the 2013 yellow card, there was a positive uh, call, uh, change in the behavior, especially of the industrial trolleys, which also helped the artisanal to, uh, uh, fleet to also to behave better. In fact, when you go to some areas, apart from the things that uh, the, 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 the notable, the notable light fishing, etc., which is, uh, you know, even when you are ashore, you see people were no more doing other petty petty. On a grander, on a big scale, it diminished. But the thing is, when you are policing and you go to relax, the has a call, criminal will go back to his old ways. You know, crime pays, unfortunately, crime pays big money. So, and it is very difficult to obey the law and make ends and make big profits. If you obey the law, well, you may, you may make profit, but not so huge. So, um, I would say that the, what, what the government should do is to be as to provide resources for the law enforcement agencies and especially have the political will to let crime, vicious crime, uh, infringement be prosecuted according to the law and also the appropriate penalties paid. If you're able to do that, it will be a demonstration that. Uh, yeah, so there's been instances in the past that uh, fishing trawlers, Chinese fishing trawlers have been found, fined one million dollars and came into the news. Well, at least it is a demonstration, but as to whether the fine was actually paid, that one is a different story. But through the advocacy of civil society and also uh, the increased voice of the artisanal fishermen. Sometimes the law gets enforced, but our main problem about enforcement and why all this yellow card, yellow card, is the two main political parties in our country. You know, it's a duopoly, just like, uh, let me say, UK uh, has a um, conservative and the uh, Labour Party, and then we go to the America, Democrats and the Republicans. When it comes to Ghana, is the new patriotic party, which is in power now, and the National Democratic Congress, the main, main party in the position. And all these people have a pattern of political patronage for the coastal districts. So I tell you, 
they when they are campaigning, they promise that when we come to power, we will let you do this. We will let you. It's disturbing. We will let you bring the, what they say. They don't say we we'll let you bring the law, but what they say and when they are campaigning for power is tantamount to we will let you break the law. And when that happens, when the uh, any party comes to power, then the fisher flow, the lawbreakers, call them to answer and break the law till civil society and law enforcement agencies wake up and stand up against government. You know, last year, for example, the Navy stood its ground and then law enforcement took place in the Volta in the east of Ghana for some time, but close to elections when fishermen recalcitrant fishermen threatened government to vote you out if you don't allow us to uh, uh, do our normal thing so that we're going to pay our debts to the banks. We vote you out and government, you know, relax the law. But even that fishermen were able to almost vote out the government because out of about 18 constituencies in, along the coast of Ghana and government was having as many as 11 now they were only able to retain just two because fishermen voted with their feet. And because unfortunately, government was not, government was doing the right thing. So fishermen themselves are also part of the problem. Uh, it's like uh, the, the appreciation of the fact that the sea is their only source of livelihood has not done on adequately on majority of them, but a few, how's it called? How's it called? The best thing, uh, happily, happily, the fiscal leaders that are coming up now, the youthful ones, they are more like, more positive. They are fighting for posterity, but the old ones, who are in their majority, I'm scared. They are not. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for the contribution so far. I have learned so much and I'm sure our audience, when they listen to this, they will be quite captivated. But we have, in the course of this conversation, this is us trying to wrap up. We have talked about fishermen, 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 but we do know that without the financial support of the women, the fishermen we're talking about today will practically in Ghana be non-existent because women finance the fishing activities done by men. So I wanna, I, I would like you to touch on, so in, 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 in the spirit of talking about how women are also affected and how they are contributing to positive change, for you to just talk briefly about the women as, as part of the solution to some of those problems we've talked about and how the government can actually also support them in the process of um, supporting um, fisher folk generally. All right, uh, the dimension of uh, women in fisheries is an interesting one. You know, uh, the informal economy in West Africa is controlled financially by women. I know, I know that I have experience in Togo, Benin and Ghana. And I've seen, and when it comes to the fishery sector, it is not different. Yeah, women bank rule fishing expeditions. In fact, I was surprised when I got into, when I, I went, I, I poked my nose into uh, how uh, the involvement of women and I saw the extent in, uh, at which women are involved. It's amazing. 
women found it, there are canoes that are owned by women. In fact, it is the traditional laws that uh, prevent women from going to sea. Else, we would have found women going to uh, sea. Yeah, so women found it, and when uh, the fishermen, women found majority of it, and when uh, the men come back from the expeditions, they sell the fish to those women who founded it, or the owners of the boat, and they supervise the selling of the fish or whatever, what to do with the fish. And uh, we realize that uh, there's also a national association of fish traders, it's called NAFTA, uh, National Fish Traders and Processors Association. You know, they have an interesting slogan. They say, say no to bad fish. NAFTA, say no to bad fish. NAFTA, say no to bad fish. No to bad fish. Then, say no to bad fish. So, uh, interestingly, majority of them do not say no to bad fish when it is brought to them. And when you ask them, why? Why don't you obey your own slogan? They will tell you that. The men will not bring us good fish. And our money has been with them for a time. So if I don't take this bad fish and manage it, I'm going to lose my money because this man, I don't know how he's going to bring me good fish in a long time, you know, because uh, that woman is seeing her fellow men from her community or neighboring communities selling bad fish and making, uh, recouping their investment and even making profit. So why do I sit down? So the idea is that we've been telling women that they are, they are an important component in the value chain. If they don't buy the fish, the men will stop bringing it. But they also say, if you don't take it, the man will say, well, I bought the fish, you didn't take it, so I don't owe you anymore. So that's the dilemma about which the women find themselves in. The women are good-hearted, they intend to get good fish and sell for good price, but they are in a corner, they've been pushed to a corner that if they don't even take the bad fish and try and do with it, then they lose their capital. Some have lost their capital that way and want to divert into other trading, petty trading activities. But the thing is, once you are living in a coastal fishing community, if the fishing goes down, whatever you are selling, people will not get money to come and buy. When there is no fish, there is no life in the fishing communities. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you so much um, for really interesting contribution. And I think this is one of the contributions, that, um, one of the topics that we have to, to carry on um, very soon. So I want to say thank you to you. I, I don't know if you have a final word to hear. Um, this time, absolutely. Um, first, I was very excited and like I'm really honored to had to have had you as a guest here because I learned so much through this conversation and I feel that um, I feel that we don't hear much uh, from that perspective we often hear one side of the story and this is really great a great opportunity for us to hear and for our audience to hear that side as well thank you so much I agree thank you so much do you have a final word for our audience and we definitely will be inviting you again because we can't leave this conversation like this do you have a final word for our audience 
Yes, uh, for the audience, I assume it's a global audience, is that, yeah, fishing, fisheries is an interesting topic. And fisheries is one area where, where people didn't actually need much training. Why? It's because people are born into fisheries. So it is something that they experience from childhood. So by the time they become fishermen, they didn't even know that they have been trained, they have been groomed. So that's one reason why we people live in coastal fishing community or any other fishing community take fishing for granted. That if uh, it, it's like, if you don't have anything else to do in society, then go into fishing. No, but fisherman is somebody who is very scientific. I've been on the sea with fishermen before and the way they, they, they were communicating without any instrument, any, compass or map, etc. And we came to land at the point that we embarked our supplies. Respect for fishermen. Please, when you're out there, respect fishermen. They have good spirit. Without them, the world, if the sea gets spoiled, the ocean gets spoiled, I don't know what will happen to humanity. So let's respect fishermen. Let's help them. Let's listen to them. And governments, especially my Ghanaian government, to pay heed to his own laws and make the laws work in our country. Thank you. Here, yeah, yeah. here. And on that beautiful note, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to African Jeopardy. And we wish you a very beautiful month of September ahead. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you, everyone. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. <laughs>